Good morning. Thank you for coming here today. Today is a little bit of a different uh, worship service. Normally on the first weekend of the month, especially in July, we would do things like talk about Fourth of July. Uh, we would do um, communion, and uh, we're we just this week we made the decision to bottle all of that up. And actually, as of Thursday, Pastor Paul was preaching this Sunday, and we just I just said, Pastor Paul, would you just would, could we just bottle all this up? And I'll, I'd like to move it to next week. Because today we've got to address some other things, and, and if, you've, if you're new with us today, um, that is simply that we've, when a member of our family is hurting, we all hurt. And, and when somebody uh, is going through tough times, we all go through tough times. And so we want to address just simply the power of prayer, and we want to talk about um, the importance of praying for, for the Krimmel family, for the Johansson family as we're here today. So today we're approaching our service a bit differently. Um, I'm going to talk for a few minutes about the power of prayer, and we're going to get into what the Bible has to say about just simply how powerful prayer is. And then we're going to get into a time where we practice that, and we pray for each other. And I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit uncomfortable in church, and that is to, to gather around in circles and to pray for one another and to pray for Laura. And, and so we're going to do that today, and, and all that we were planning on doing. And by the way, just so you know, uh, for you 4th of July buffs, it's really the 2nd of July. History has gotten it wrong this entire time. I just want you to know the bulk of the Declaration of Independence was signed on the 2nd. Everybody celebrated on the 2nd. And it wasn't until some delegate from Rhode Island finally got there on the 4th that it was finally signed at the very end. And, and so, just so you know, tomorrow's the real celebration. <laughs> just so you know. It wasn't until later that Congress declared the 4th of July to be, but, you know, they're wrong, I'm right. Anyhow, have a hot dog tomorrow, too. It's very American. But um, we're, we're going to celebrate that all next week. So if you'll allow us that grace, we're going to do that a little bit next week. And I just, this week, want to address how powerful it is to pray. And then we'll give you an update on, on John and Laura. And we'll just get into a time of prayer and, and worship. So, like I said, um, I want to talk about prayer right now. And, and uh, I put together some slides of the scripture, but if, if you don't want to do that, if you want to go into the Bible, first scripture is Revelation chapter 5. When we were in our series on the book of Revelation a couple years ago, and uh, you, if you were here, you remember because we spent weeks and weeks and weeks on that. But something still sticks with me to this day all the time. I think about this verse all the time in Revelation chapter 5. And it's this picture of the throne room of God. And it really starts in chapter 4. John, it's like he's setting a new scene. He says, behold, I see this door, like an open window, really. And, and he sees the, God the Almighty on the throne. And, and he talks about the glory and the angels worshiping and, and, and all that stuff. And he, he's just sort of describing it kind of in allegoric terms about the throne room of God. And really what the throne room of God looks like and how it functions. And it's just such a beautiful picture. So it's Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, that, that I really just want to hone in on this morning. 6 through 8. It says this. Then I saw the Lamb looking as if it had been slain. That's Jesus, by the way. Standing at the center of the throne. So imagine this. The Almighty is on the throne, and Jesus is standing, like, literally right on him, okay? Um, standing on the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, the Lamb had seven horns and the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, which is a way of saying it's the Holy Spirit. It, it is fully God. That's another way of saying that without getting too far deep into our Revelation series. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Remember, the scroll was 
the unveiling of the kingdom of God, the plans of the Lord, uh, the plans of the church really on earth. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, the 24 elders are symbolic of the church, fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. I just want to pause there. The prayers of God's people. So if you imagine this throne room scene, you have God the Almighty. You literally have the Trinity on the throne. You, you have God the Almighty. You, you've got the Lamb who's as if it had been slain. So it's Jesus standing on the throne. And, and it says the seven spirits, which is a real revelation way of saying the Holy Spirit, the complete Spirit of God, wasn't less God. It wasn't more than God. It was God. All standing on the throne. And there's the church standing before the throne room of God, holding these golden bowls and it's of incense. And it says it's the prayers of God's people. Sometimes when I pray, I imagine that scene, that throne room setting, that, that when you pray, it goes directly to the throne room of God. That's, I mean, there, there's no like, you know, can you hear me now? There's no interruption on your cell phone. There's, there's none of that. It goes directly to to the throne room of God. When you pray, it is powerful. And so many times, we have been formed to think that, you know, it, it doesn't really matter anyways. You just pray, you just throw a prayer out there, and then whatever happens, happens. But, but that's not at all the way the Bible works. That's not at all the way that, that, that God has been painting his picture to us through Scripture. So I want to take you through just a couple of Scriptures today to, to just sort of help us all understand how powerful it is what we're about to do. And I think the question, the central question is, does God change his mind on things? Does our prayer ha have an effect on heaven? And, and I would just want to go out and overwhelmingly say, yes, absolutely. And now, as we go through this, so many times we treat prayer as a cosmic slot machine in the sky, right? It's like we're going to throw our quarter up, pull the lever, and just, you know, if God, if the wheels land on all cherries, then we're golden. You know, that's the way we've treated prayer so many times, and that's such a low view of prayer. But really, we, we, looked at God, we look at God as this unmoved mover. Like, he moves things, but he can't be moved by our hearts, by our compassion, by our prayer. That's the way we've looked at God so many times in the past, and that's so many times the way we speak about God. But the reality is, God isn't the unmoved mover. He is the most moved mover. Does that make sense? He is not unmoved by us. He is most moved by our prayers. So it's not that we control God or anything like that, because he is still all sovereign. I don't even know how this all works out all the time. But yet he is moved by the prayers of his church. That is the point of the 24 elders holding the bowl of incense with the prayers going up before him. He is moved by your prayers. Like I said, there's this temptation to view God as this, how he doesn't change his mind. And then we might go to God, but he's like, it's already made up. Sorry, bro, it's done. That's the way we view God, but it's not true. So flip with me to Exodus chapter 32. There's this story that really just illustrates how God does change his mind, and he has. And, and if you read the Old Testament, you, you start to see other stories like this. This isn't the only one. But Exodus chapter 32, verse 9, it says this. And it'll be up on the screens, and you have to forgive me because 
this was also last minute. I did the slides, and they're always better when Aniko does them because you could all read them. So you'll have to forgive me if you can't read them in the back. That's all my fault. So just use the Bible and, and get there. Exodus 32, verse 9. This is right around the time of the golden calf. Remember, God's people kind of forsake God, and they built their own God out there in the wilderness, and there's, there's this golden calf. And, and God was pretty upset by this, if you remember. And, and the Lord says this in verse 9. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, and then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that the Lord brought them out to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. To whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as, stars in the, as the stars in the sky. I will give your descendants all this land I promised to them and their inheritance forever. And then look at verse 14. It says this. Then the Lord relented and did not bring his people the disaster he had threatened. The Lord relented and did not bring the disaster he had threatened. Literally what this is do, happening here is that God is going, or Moses is going before God, and he's saying, God, change your mind. Don't do this. We, we could still salvage the situation. Help us walk through this, but don't bring disaster on them. And the Lord changed his mind. He changed his mind. Unfortunately, we, feel, we, we view God as some stone-faced old man who will stare us down but never give us what we're asking for. But it's simply not true. If it's in his will to do it, he'll do it. The belief we have, like I've said before, is that God is this unmoved mover, but he's really the most moved mover. When we look at what happens here in Exodus, we see this God who has compassion, this God who hears the prayers of his servants, and this God who acts and sometimes changes his mind. I want to look at a couple parables because Jesus taught us how to pray. Over and over again in the scriptures, he taught us how to pray. So if you have a Bible, it's in Luke chapter 11. We're going to go through these parables um, a little bit quicker. Um, but Luke chapter 11 says this, and it's in verses 5 through 8. And remember, Jesus is, is helping you to, you should have this picture in your mind when you think about prayer. He's helping us to remember how important it is to just pray without ceasing. It says this. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, and a friend of mine on a journey, I'm sorry, and then if, I have a friend of mine, I just lost my place, I'm sorry. Um, oh, a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you. Even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up, get up and give you as much as you need. Jesus taught this parable to tell you how much to pray. So you've got this friend, right, who, who you're like asking for a favor and, and they're like, no, it's not happening. What Jesus is saying is you go back and annoy them to the point to where they give up and say, okay, 
I'll help you out. That's the way he's telling us to approach God with shameless audacity over and over and over again that we go to him and ask why not necessarily, maybe, maybe nothing will change. Maybe God's will is a little bit different than our will in this area, but because it forms us whenever we go to God. But maybe something does change. And that's what he calls us to do, to go to him with shameless audacity. Church, this is what we're going to call you to today, to simply go before the Lord with shameless audacity today to pray, to ask, to beg for a miracle in Laura's life. Luke 18, there's, there's more parables. Jesus didn't just teach this once. He taught this many times to many different people. And in Luke 18, verses 1 through 5, and it says this. There's a couple pages over um, in, in the book of Luke. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. I mean, that's in the Bible. I will see that she gets justice and she won't eventually come and attack me. I mean, this is the teaching of Jesus. Like, I, I didn't just make that up. I mean, Jesus is literally saying, if you want to know how to pray, you go to God as much as you can. I try and annoy God. I mean, you can't, but try. Try to annoy God. Are you annoying to him? Are you coming to him with shameless audacity? Are you coming to him without ceasing? I mean, whether it's for, for the Krimmel family and, and the Johansons and, and, and Laura, or, or whether it's for stuff in your own life as well. Are you coming to him with shameless audacity? Do you go to God and go, God, why doesn't this change in my life? Or why doesn't this ever happen? And, and, and he goes, are, do you ever talk to me about this? This is like the first time I'm hearing of this, dude. I, I imagine God says, dude, because I imagine he's from California. Not true. Total heresy. Just joking. Um, but are you annoying to God? I want to talk for a minute about what happened. So, so first we talked about this, this, this throne room picture, right? Where, where, where the Trinity is on the throne and the church is holding these prayers out before the Lord. And, and, and then we talked about how our prayer changes things and our prayer changes minds. And then we talked about the frequency in which Jesus tells us to actually pray. I mean, it is with fervor all the time coming before him with the same request. It's okay. It's okay to feel like a broken record in prayer. And then look what, what happens here. And I, we're going to go to what's commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. It's Matthew chapter 6, um, verse 9. But it's really the disciples' prayer because it's the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, right? It's not the prayer necessarily that Jesus prayed. The, the Lord's Prayer is really in John chapter 17. The disciples' prayer is in Matthew chapter 6. And, and it's really fascinating. And so I'm going to do a couple things with Scripture on the, say, on, on the screens that I want you to see. In, in our versions, we, we're reading the NIV here. If you've got one of the church Bibles, this is the NIV Bible. We think it's the, the easiest, most readable Bible to, to, to have in our sanctuary. And so that's what we use. And it says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Like it just seems pretty innocuous. We've heard that a hundred times. You probably memorized it in the, in the King James Version, which is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I mean, you probably memorized it that way. 
but it seems just sort of like a greeting. It just sort of seems innocuous. It doesn't seem like anything crazy is happening there. We're just recognizing that, that God's in heaven and that his name is great. And, and, and time to move on. We get past that pretty quickly. But before we move on there, I, I think one of the greatest, so from the Greek, the Bible has to be translated into English. And those are translators and editors that are working on that. And, and I think one of the greatest errors from Greek to English translation is found right here. And, it, and really, this is from the Greek version. It, it translated literally, which is extremely hard to read. That's why they need people to make it work, the editors and, and such. But in the Greek version, this is what it says. It says, Father among us, Father of us, the one in the heavens. There's this very different word there. Like in, in our English version, it says heaven. And in this version, in the Greek version, it says heavens. And if you literally go and read the Greek, it's pluralized. But, and, and I don't do this as a Greek lesson this morning, but to tell you of the mindset that you're supposed to have when you pray. See, the point is that the earliest Christians would have understood the word heavens, and they would have not understood the word heaven. Because the Jewish mindset, there was three understandings of the heavens. It was literally the air among you. That was like the first part of the heavens, what they called the heavens. There was the air above you, so like where the, where the birds flew and there was high up in the sky. And then there was out where the stars were. Those were the heavens, right? There was these three layers. So when Jesus is saying, Father among us, the one in the heavens, he is not, like we translate our Father in heaven. And I was just even thinking about this with the song Amazing Grace. Like the worldview of the author writing that song was that God was out there in heaven right? And that's our worldview too, is that somewhere among the stars, God is there, that's where heaven is, somewhere out there. And when we do that, we, we paint God as a very distant God. But really with the Greek version, what Jesus is teaching us to pray is Father in the heavens, the one who is close right here among us, closer than the air that you breathe. That's what he's teaching us to pray. That when you pray, and Dallas Willard says it like this, he says, when you pray, Jesus will come up to you. I just love that idea, that when you pray, Jesus will come up to you. That was when Jesus spoke, he spoke of the heavens, plural, that, that God is literally right here among us. The word heaven communicates a far distance away in our minds. But what Jesus was trying to communicate to us in this prayer is that when we pray, we have to recognize that Jesus is closer than the air that we breathe, that he is right here among us. And that he wants to hear our prayers. He wants to talk with us. He wants to hear our petitions. And he, and he wants to change things. So this phrase, our Father in heaven, in the heavens, literally means that when you pray, Jesus comes up to you. He gets close to you. And, and Jesus made this point even more in, in, in Luke 17. You don't have to flip there. But he, he made this point even more. When the Pharisees asked him about the kingdom of, he, of the heavens, Jesus said, the kingdom of the heavens is in your midst. It's right here among you. This is what he was referring to, is that God is right here among you, closer than the air that you breathe. Excuse me. When you pray, you enter into God's holy space. When you pray, you enter into a space where Jesus wants to come up to you. When you pray, you enter into that throne room. 
of God that's not far off, but is right here among you. Today, like I said, we're doing a shorter message, a shorter time of this, and we're going to go for a little season of prayer here in a moment. And, and, and maybe you here came today with your own prayer needs, and we want to invite you to, to do that in a minute as well and during our prayer time. And um, what we're going to do is, what I want to do is be able to give you a little update on, on how Laura's doing, and then we want to invite some of the family up to pray over them, and specifically John, and if the other family would like to come up, we'd like to invite you too, um, to pray over, over them. So here's what I'm going to ask. Um, would you pray for, for John and Laura? Would you pray for the Johansson family? Would you pray for that whole situation? Would you pray for healing? The update really is that um, on Tuesday, Laura was slipping away. The doctors said, you better call in some family. And they, they said the best bet is to, to put her into a deeper sleep. And so that all happened. She put her, was put into a deeper sleep on Wednesday. They expected for the infection to take over. However, the infection hasn't gotten better and it hasn't gotten worse. So it's a bit of a different thing than they were expecting. And uh, what's been given now is a little bit of time. And so the question is, what can we do? And the answer is pray for a miracle. That's literally the answer that we have. So I'm going to ask you, especially, here, here's what I'm going to do. Our online audience, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and close this off in just a moment here. And what I'm going to ask you to do if you're watching us on Facebook Live online today is for the next uh, 15 minutes, close your computer, turn, put your phone down. I just want to ask you to pray for Laura Kermel. You might not even know her. I'm just going to ask you to pray for her with shameless audacity. So we're online audience. Goodbye. There's cameras here. Goodbye, online audience. Um, it was great for you to join us today. <laughs> um, but now I want to invite up uh, John, actually. Um, John, would you mind coming on up? I'm going to put this back here.